welcome to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. Today, we welcome Winifred Irie. Winifred has two engineering degrees, including a master's degree in systems engineering, and spent almost 15 years in the field before taking a four-year career break and then founding ThinkSTEM Foundation. She is active in WITI, Women in Technology International, where she is a director of the WITI Charlotte Network, and in her local suite chapter, the Society of Women Engineers. Additionally, Winifred founded her business, eWire Communications, in 2019. We are going to talk about her career path, her advocacy for minority girls and women in STEM, and learn more about ThinkSTEM Foundation and eWire Communications. Winifred, welcome to 321 I Relaunch. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, we're thrilled to have you, and I want to start out by talking about your background, education, and and your early career. You have two engineering degrees, and you worked in systems engineering before your career break and starting ThinkSTEM Foundation. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you first came to be interested in engineering and your early career, and then what led to your career break? Yeah, I decided to pursue engineering because um, Mrs. Olumadoka, the founder of Association of Professional Women Engineers of Nigeria, who I will be interviewing on June 24th um, in Witi, she came to my secondary school. I was 14 years old, and she came on a college and career readiness day. And she came to share her career with us. And um, up to that time, I had never seen a female engineer. I had seen female judges, female lawyers, female accountants, female doctors, but no engineer. And here she comes in, in high heels, really talk, telling us about her career. But she did not really start by telling us what engineering was about. She started by telling us the, the problems in the society. And she talked about access to water. She talked about electricity, having nonstop 24-hour electricity. She talked about um, different diseases in the community that needed to be cured. So when she talked about the problems in the society, then she told us that we were surrounded by science, that the world we lived in was all about science, that from from going out to um, the, the garden to pick up um, fruits and vegetables and bringing them home to cook, that that was science, that there was science in those vegetables, that that was chemistry. And um, and she told us about even the soaps that we use. And she told us that, you know, we were so much surrounded by science, surrounded by mathematics, and that in order to be an engineer, you needed to use science and mathematical principles to design products and services that will improve people lives and that's I think one thing she left with us was that we were the change that the, that the country was looking for that it, it is our generation that will actually change the country and she's 80 years old now and she just did a birthday and over 500 female engineers gathered to wish her happy birthday and like I said I'll, we'll be interviewing how on June 24th in the uh, Women in Technology International Summit because she has opened the door for so many females to become um, engineers. She was a role model 
And so I remember leaving that um, that event and we just, you know, it was like, ah, my aha moment, that that's what I am going to become. I love science, I love mathematics, so I'm going, to, and I, I'm empathetic, so I'm going to be an engineer. But my personality, being a leader, I did not make that decision that only me will become an engineer. I got my friends in my additional maths class that we were all going to become an enge- become engineers. So we so we actually went to uh, took the exam to go to university. And um, we got admission and we all decided to study different types of engineering. And so so that was the beginning of, of our adventure into engineering. But I tell you, Carol, when we got into the faculty of engineering, we were told that girls were not, uh, there were very few girls and most of the girls did not do well. And I remember standing in front of my friends and telling these guys that, you know, we know the family we've come from. We know the the uh, secondary school we've come from. So we don't know what the story is about the other girls, but we were actually going to change the narrative. And mm-hmm. we did, Carol. We, we worked hard. It was rigorous. It was tough. There was the theory. There was the practical. There was the internship. Um, but, but we stayed together. I see that every girl needs a sister tribe. And my, oh, a lot of them are now in, in WITI, Women in Technology International, because once I became a director, I got my friend. So we've been together for over 30 years. And we did well. We, we changed the narrative. I finished Summa Cum Laude, and uh, a lot of my friends finished Ida Cum Laude or Magna Cum Laude. So we did change the narrative and open the door for other girls to actually um, enjoy engineering and um, and actually, you know, get great grades and go into the community as Mrs. Olumaduka challenged us to actually make a change. So I'm still very much in touch with my alma mater, still advocating for girls and, and still in touch with my university, you, you know, making sure that there is a representation of um, females, you know, minority females, uh, you know, in, in the STEM workforce. So, so, the, so that that is my early beginning. And Mrs. Olumaduka is my very good friend. And at eighty years old, she's she looks like sixty, and she's still very feisty, you know. I can't, I'm just thinking about what an honor it is uh, for you to be able to interview her and know her, someone who was so influential to you at such a young age. And also the wisdom when she knew her audience was um, young, well, I guess middle school uh, teenage girls to bring the relevance of the engineering field to these real world problems um, was sort of um, changing what stereotypes there might have been in terms of how you all might view an engineer and what kind of work that they do. So there's so much wrapped into that. And also, I love the power of your peer network, how you supported each other and you had this joint mission and you were going through it together and how important that was for you. That's incredible. Um, So what happened? So when you graduated, did everyone go their separate ways and and then pursue different careers and move to, you're here in the United States now, move to different geographies. What happened after that in your early career? So so that that is correct. So once we graduated, the country was going through a tough time and there was a lot of brain drain happening. That means people who had abilities were actually leaving the country to pursue a second degree or get a job outside the country. But I, I stayed in, in Nigeria for a couple of years, but I got a job with an international company 
called um, Shlombiji and Oil Company, and they had never had a, a black female, um, you know, um, work as an oil rig engineer. And since I had shattered the glass ceiling in um, in my university, I thought, oh my goodness, why not be a trailblazer? But I tell you, Carol, that was a tough job. Mm-hmm. I went to work on the high sea. I was just the only female among over 500 guys. It was a, such an intense environment. And that was the first time I really began to understand what they meant that um, they didn't they didn't welcome girls in engineering because in my university yes there was a pushback but there were a lot of um, peers that were allies there were there were my father was a strong influence in my life he bought me my, a, a computer in 1984 Amstrad computer and basic manuals and a robot Atari robot and he said my generation will be all about robots and computers so I had all these males support me university my lecturer dr katende is now a professor he's, he he works in botswana and um he's moved out of nigeria so but i had all those people advocating for me cheering me on and um so everybody it was a collective joy for me to finish summa cum laude but when i got to the workforce oh my goodness they were like you know you're not welcome here so i began to understand that understand what they meant by the way you're dealing with different generations about um, not not feeling a part of the community, not feeling included. And those guys, they're now my friends, quite interesting. <laughs> I have a, a penchant of going back and, and building bridges. But I tell you, those those days, it wasn't funny. I remember we put on, we had to wear protective gear and we had a uniform we had to wear with a hard hat because we were, we were working on the oil, oil rig. And I remember I will put on those things and I will put Psalm 23 because I'm a person of faith in my back pocket. And I'll say, oh, Lord, please put an arm around my shoulder and hand over my mouth because there was nobody to ask about how I should relate to these guys in such a way that I will feel a part of the team. They would listen to me uh, because I was just 21 and I was go- going to work and there were older guys. So they really made me feel like I, I wasn't welcome. So after three years of act- of working there and um, a lot of my friends, you know, they, they went back to school to do a master's and some got jobs. One of my friends, I call her my best friend for life. She she will come and see me on the oil rig and she'll be like, Winifred, you're crazy. What are you doing here? Looking so dirty and with all this oil and you tell me these guys don't even like you. So, so that was when I really began to understand concepts like imposter syndrome, concepts like double competence, concepts like gender blind, because... Um, those guys didn't make it easy. They didn't make me feel seen, heard, and, you know, empowered. But I stayed there for three years, you know, really wanting to open the door for other females. And I'm so glad that another, uh, there are so many females that are petroleum engineers who work on oil rigs. Shlombeji has done a lot of work because I went to talk to them after when I was much older about their environment. So they've done a lot of work to make their environment more um, female friendly, you know, so... So that's what happened. I went to work in Schlumberger for three years, and then I left and decided I wanted to join my friends and go and do a master's, and I went to do a master's in, in University of Essex in England. Mm. That, that was when you got the master's in systems engineering. Yes. And so that was kind of a career change. I, I, I'm just amazed that you were able to stick it out for three years in that environment, an oil rig on the high seas, 
one of among 500 men really really unbelievable and uh and pathbreaking and and that you were motivated because you wanted to make it easier for people coming after you and is 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 really admirable and and gutsy <laughs> so, um I just want to say thank you. I, I mean, I, th I think you've made a difference. And, and then you come back to Schlumberger years later and you see that there has been change. Um, you know, still the petrochemical um, engineering industry is a relatively tough one for women, uh, but it's so much different than it used to be. So much, so much different. Quite interesting. One of the female engineers who is really doing a great job in um in in the oil field. I will be interviewing her. Her name is Hajara Kabi. She's from the northern part of Nigeria, and she's really stuck it out. And so I'm very impressed with the fact that she stayed longer than I have. So I'll be interviewing her. But but it's but you know somebody has to open the door, and other people begin to you know. Uh, you know, get in and then advocate for changes within the workplace. So I'm so pleased with all the changes Schlumberger has made. Excellent. Okay, so you uh, work three years at Schlumberger. You then go um, to University of Sussex to get your um, engineering master's degree, your systems engineering master's degree. And what happens after that? So University of Essex. So I'm I sorry, guess, so, University of Essex. So that that's fine. So I um, when I was in Schlumberger, one of the things that occurred to me was that you know the, the internet was going to become a reality. I just knew that computers were going. That shows you how old I am. Computers were going to talk to each other. The internet was going to take over the world, and so that was that was my master's project. And so when I finished my master's with a distinction, um, one of the things that um, there was such a demand for somebody of, with my skill and and expertise, so I got quite a few offers and decided to work with Nortel Networks because they had a research arm called Bell Northern Research, and I really felt that I wanted to be at the cutting edge of technology. So I so I went to work for Nortel Networks, and um, when I worked for Nortel Networks, before Nortel Networks, I did a hiatus with the research arm of British Telecom, but my focus really was to work on protocols that will um, that will run the internet as we know it today. So I wanted to work with standards bodies. I wanted to work on the core network. So that's what I did. I went to work with um, with um, a telecoms company. My master's was telecoms and systems engineering. So I went to work with with um, with Northern Networks. And Northern Networks was kind of everywhere. I was in England at that time. They were in the UK. They were in Canada. A Canadian company. And um, and so and when I started to work with them, there was still it was pretty obvious that um, there were very few females in engineering. And so that is what kind of prompted me to make the next um, transition that I made. Mm -hmm. And then can you tell us what led to your career break? Yes. Yeah, so so I remember one day I was I was in the in a meeting and I just turned around and I said to myself, it was like a ha -ha moment. And I said, you know, you know, wherever you go, whether it is Schlumberger, whether it is Bell, um, um, British Telecom, or whether it is Norton Networks, there are very few females, and we need more females in the in the STEM workforce. I looked at the sort of income I was earning as a young girl, and I looked at what my income was doing for my family, for my community of origin. I looked at the impact it was making the community, just like Mrs. Olumaduka had told us that we were going to be the change. 
And I, and I thought to myself, just imagine if we had more females pursuing STEM and um, having the sort of return on investment I am, I am getting. Just imagine what the world would be. And so it was like a like an aha moment. And then I had my daughter. It was a very difficult pregnancy. I was on bed rest. And, I, and when they gave me Jessica Ann, she's now in Princeton, and they put her in my arm, I thought to myself, I want to be part of the world that changes the narrative that girls do not have a seat at the STEM table. That is the world my daughter is going to live in. I want to be part of that. I want to contribute to that, um, to the solution, to open the door for many girls like her, because she's female, to have to be able to pursue whatever they want to pursue without the sort of um, obstacles that I experienced. And so after my maternity leave, I thought to myself that, you know, I am going to set up a foundation. I'm going to go and work with the schools. I'm going to get girls, young girls interested in STEM, interested in science, interested in mathematics. I'm going to get minorities like my daughter to, to pursue STEM. I also wanted to homeschool my children. So that is why I decided to um, to stay at home. And once my children were four or five, I already had a son, um, Jean Raphael, who is in Stanford, now studying computer science. So I wanted to homeschool them. And then I also wanted to not just homeschool them, but also support my community. Uh, by this time, I was living in the States. I was living in Charlotte. I had um, left England to Canada, and then I was in the States. And so I, I just felt that, you know, mentoring and coaching was important for uh, females to actually pursue engineering that they needed to they needed somebody to have an arm around them if they were going to stay not just get into engineering but stay in engineering and that's that's where think stem foundation came that's how i bet think stem foundation mm, wow and and you've been the leader of the think stem foundation for almost 15 years now so can you talk a little bit about um who does the foundation serve beyond the detail that you just gave? And also, what is your vision for the future? Yes. Yeah, so um, so what I do is I partner with um, 10 Title I schools and I recruit um, students from those schools. These are schools that typically do not have the resources that um, schools, other schools have, schools from a more privileged neighborhood we have. So these are underserved communities. So I, I work with the social workers, I work with their, their community engagement officers to recruit students. And then I, I actually coach them, I, I mentor them, I do a lot of leadership training so that they, they can see the greatness that is in themselves and they can understand what value they can bring to their community and to the world at large. And so um, basically, that is where I get my pool. I do not have summer camps, what I do, but, that, but that's why it's a foundation. I sponsor them to summer camps because of the learning loss that occurs over summer. And so I sponsor them to summer camps so that they feel they can see the practical application of the theory that they are learning in the classroom. My whole goal is to help them see themselves in a STEM 
um, career and support them through the college process, you know. So I do a lot of work with um, college essay, you know, so when they are, because a lot of them are first generation, nobody in their family has ever gone to college. So the mm-hmm. idea that they will, they will even go to college, you, you know, there's a lot of mindset work I do with them because, you know, you have to not just take care of them, you're also their family because, um, because a lot of them do not understand that they can't go to college despite the fact that they have top grades they still feel like oh the best that will happen is they'll get a job after high school so trying to break that barrier for them to see themselves within college a college campus and to see themselves thriving and um, and also a, a lot of work has to be done with their college essay with scholarship search so I'm, I'm kind of like a mother around them I wrote a book years ago called The Call to Motherhood I have it's, it, I've not published it for the public but it's, it's on my it's on my shelf you know it's self-published and I see myself as their mother putting an arm around them telling them that we need them within the college campus we need them in the workforce um, just because we need that sort of diversity within the the the, the, um, the the STEM workforce and because we need to design products and services that serves everybody both the female and the minority and make a change in the world so when they begin to see the value not just the science and maths of STEM but the value um, they can make to the world at large it begins to not their curiosity just like mrs olumaduka i tell her i use exactly what she told me that's what i do with my stem outreach but a lot of mentoring is needed you know the coaching is just the beginning of the process you've got to mentor them because if not if you don't keep an eye on them and put your arm around them and mentor them a lot of them get discouraged when they begin to face challenges so a lot of leadership training so that they see themselves as leaders who can manage their own own emotions and lead themselves down this path that I have designed for them. I mean, we've designed it together. So so a lot of the work I do in Think STEM Foundation is coaching, mentoring, leadership training. And I do a lot do advocacy with Society of Women Engineers. I go to Congress to advocate for funds for you know nonprofits like mine and other organizations so that um, STEM, you know, you know, so that everybody has a, a seat at the STEM table. Yeah, you know, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you was, how did you get your initial funding and how are you funded? Um, and also uh, maybe commenting on the role of SWE, the Society of Women Engineers, or WITI, um, the Women in Technology International um, Professional Associations and what you're doing. Yeah, so SWE is doing such great work. I am so grateful that I'm a part of the com- of, of the SWE community, right from um, looking at programs, designing programs, setting up Courage Clubs, SWE Next Courage Clubs. I'm looking at putting some SWE Next Clubs in my alma mater in Nigeria. So they have, they have very committed professionals who are getting programs, not just for um, current STEM professionals, but for future STEM professionals through their SWE Next initiative. And then they go over and above and go to Congress and advocate to get people to understand the the value of, uh, of their work and to get funding. So a lot of the funding for a long time has, has been self-funded because, you know, my, my husband was working um, within the bank at that time and I was 
working with my children, so we kind of self-funded it. But because of a change in my life, now I'm branching out to actually um, get sponsors in businesses to to support our work. So one of the th- first things that I've been doing has been really working with the STEM. Uh, we call we, we call it a STEM roundtable in Charlotte, where you have a lot of organizations that are working in the area of STEM. Because um, when um, um, a report was done by Harvard, they said Charlotte was number 50 out of 50 states in the area of social and economic mobility. So, so um, the leaders actually put together an opportunity task force to address the issues and the STEM roundtable is, is kind of came out of that. So it's a lot of organizations within Charlotte who are working together to actually move the needle and get more people pursuing STEM. So, so I'm on that roundtable and through that initiative, um, getting Think STEM Foundation out into the community in order to get sponsors. So up till now, really, we've a lot of our work has been crowdfunding with my sister tribe and, and self-funding. Interesting. Um, you know, we at iRelaunch do a, we co-lead an initiative with the Society of Women Engineers called the STEM Reentry Task Force, where companies join in order to launch their return to work programs. And we are in our sixth year. So we have deep ties to SWE and it's great to hear your commentary about their power as an organization. Uh, can you tell us about your other venture, which is eWire Communications, um, what what it does and uh, how you started it. Yes, yeah, so um, in in two thousand and nineteen, I I I think I was just googling and looking at all the companies that were movers and shakers in um, in the world of STEM. Not companies, really, organizations like SWE, like IEEE, and I came across Women in Technology International. And um, I started listening to a lot of their webinars and really got fascinated with the model that they had um, because in working with SWE and in working with my students, see my students were now going into university and they were now, a lot of them were graduating. So I was looking for a model to keep on mentoring them. You know, not all of them were becoming engineers. Some of them were becoming, they were just doing computer science like my son who said, mom, I'm doing computer science. I don't like physics you know so so not all of them could 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 join sui so i was looking for a way to actually still work with with my students but not just me alone me and an, uh, you know you know collaborating with an organization where we could continue to mentor the students as they became early career professionals you know so that because attrition getting out of stem is very high and, you know people get into stem and then they don't stay so really in trying to solve that problem you know i started to look you know to zoom out and look at what was out there and i came across women in technology international and one of the things that fascinated me was the fact that they had network events. They had over 500 network events every month. They have 60 networks in the States. They have networks internationally. And then I started to go for the network events. 
and uh, realized the network events, they were all about inspiring people, doing a lot of leadership training, and really making sure that, that no woman was left on her own. So it didn't matter where you were, whether you were, you were, you were in STEM and you are now a stay-at-home mom, you had a seat at the table. And finding a seat at the table has been my life mission, making sure that girls have a seat at the table. You know, so I decided that I was going to go for their, I think their, their conference in California. So I went for their conference. And when I went for their conference, I was struck by the fact that there were very few minorities. And so I, I remember putting up my hand. I'm the sort of person that I put a, a voice behind my thoughts. I put it on my hand to say, where are all the minority women? How come we still have very few minority women? And I shared what Think STEM Foundation was doing and our mission and vision. And at the end of that conference, um, the president, you know, um, asked to speak to me and asked me if I would um, be the director in uh, in Charlotte to build to help them build an inclusive community where every woman felt seen, heard, and empowered. So, um, so I went away and I thought about it. Looked at their mission and vision, and it aligned with mine, and it aligned with the vision where I saw Think STEM Foundation going. And so in um, 2019, really, I decided that, yes, I would, uh, I would become a network director. And that's where EY Communications came into being, where I would provide leadership training because I knew that my young elite career professionals who had worked with me through middle school to high school, I knew they needed mentoring. I knew that if they were faced with being on an oil rig, they needed somebody to talk to. Yeah. I, I didn't get somebody to talk to, but I felt that, you know, WITI was an organization that could collaborate with in order to actually scale um, the whole idea, the business. And so that's why I came up with EY Communications, where we collaborate with Women in Technology International to provide coaching, mentoring, and leadership training. And right now we are actually branching out. I am taking WITI to Africa, and that's why Mrs. Olumaduka is going to be speaking at WITI Summit. So I'm taking WITI to Africa, and um, the whole idea is to bring the world to Africa and bring Africa to the world. So we are trying to, our goal is to amplify the voices of African tech professionals and I'm leading that initiative. Are you doing that virtually or are you going there? I'm doing it virtually and um, it has been an interesting, the, the interesting thing is Clubhouse came into being and last year. So Clubhouse has been a great conversation place. I've met so many fascinating people. So Wait, in the- hold on. I, I just want to interrupt you for a minute for our listeners who don't know what Clubhouse is. So look up Clubhouse just as it sounds. Um, It's a new, it, it's, it's like um, spontaneous audio meetings um, and you have to be invited in order to uh, participate. And I have a few invitations if people <laughs> want to ask me. Um, you can ask someone who's a member. And then they have these random spontaneous meetings and also planned meetings where people get together and have conversations about very specific topics. So Winifred, go ahead and maybe give an example of one of how you engage on Clubhouse. 
Yes, yeah, so Clubhouse has been an answer. Really, really has brought me full circle coming from Nigeria and looking back to say, how can I contribute now that I'm an older woman to the to the to the community back in Nigeria? So through Clubhouse, I've created rooms where we where you know a lot of just um, putting the humans at the center of the problem to ask them questions, you know, how can we bring value to you as an organization? How can we serve you? And so through these meetings, like you said, some of them are spontaneous meetings where I just go into a room to listen in and raise my hand and ask a question or meetings that I organize. I have met, I've met so many people. I have met um, people that are really, um, doing great things within the African continent. And from there, I have curated this um, community of um, African tech professionals that are going to be speaking for the first time in 27 years at the Witty Summit. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, and that is one of the uh, benefits of, of being in Clubhouse is that you can connect with and meet and have access to people who you might not normally have access to uh, if through these clubhouse uh, meetups and, and get togethers. And I, I just want to emphasize that it's, it's all audio and it's all done through an app, uh, which you can get to on your phone. So check it out if you don't, if you don't know that much about it, but Winifred, thank you very much for illustrating what the power of that kind of net networking can produce. So we're coming to the end of our uh, conversation, and I wish we could go on much longer because there's so much to talk about. Uh, but I want to know if you can uh, give the give advice to our listening audience. And this is the final question that we ask all of our podcast guests. It's what is the best piece of advice that you have for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? For me, it's pursue your passion. Pursue your passion. I feel like we're not going. We're not going to live forever. So if it's not now, when? Pursue your passion. Ask yourself what value you can bring to the world, and um, and look at you know what is on the inside of you, the greatness that is on the inside of you, and um, you know look for how you can use that greatness, that talent within you to save the world. It's all about being a servant leader. How can I save the world? What sort of legacy do I want to leave? My children are doing the same thing I'm doing, whether it's in um, Princeton, they have a mentoring committee, community that they mentor students, or in Stanford, they have a mentoring community. So that is my legacy. And so I would encourage everybody to um, pursue their passion and look at serving and adding value to the world around you. Very powerful. Thank you for that advice. Winifred, how can our listeners find out more about your work? Okay, so they can go to my website. My son is working on my website. So <laughs> we, just, we just put a front page. But right now it's um, called um, ThinkSTEM Foundation, www.thinkstemfoundation.org. So they can, they can reach me at thinkstemfoundation.org. So it's one, we're working on the website, but, 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 but we have a, an inquiry where they can put, put in questions. Great. And I'll also mention that you're pretty active on LinkedIn. And, and we were just talking even before we started our conversation and record, recording the podcast that um, the engagement that I've seen from you in terms of commenting on posts that I've made, um, that, that kind of interaction or even reacting to it is something 
that I've noticed. So I'm guessing people can also contact you on LinkedIn. Yes, absolutely. They can contact me on LinkedIn and on Instagram. I love to um, encourage people to eat healthy. So I put all my healthy meals on Instagram so they can, if they want to be motivated, another contribution to the world, they can follow me on Instagram and make meals with me. And are you under Winifred Ariyi on Instagram? And Ariyi is spelled E-R-E-Y-I in case anyone is looking up Winifred on Instagram or on LinkedIn. Yes, yes, I am on. Very good. All right. Thanks for joining us today. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me and keep up the good work. I am I'm your cheerleader and we continue to like your post and make comments. Thank you. Wonderful. And thanks for listening to 321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the CEO and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.